This is the Youth Worker Collective podcast from Young People's Ministries. You don't have to be in ministry alone with resources, coaching, games, and more at umcyoungpeople.com. Hi, my name's Chris, and I'm the director of Young People's Ministries. I work at Discipleship Ministries in Nashville, Tennessee. And our guest today is... um, one of my friends, Eileen Jimenez, and uh, Eileen and I got to know each other uh, through the uh, Young Leaders Pilgrimage to the Holy Land uh, that Young People's Ministries has offered the last couple of years. Um, Eileen, I think you and me were together in Israel and Palestine in 2019, right? No, it was 2018. Was it 2018? Oh, it was man. 2018. Time it was flies. your second year doing it. Yeah. 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 Um, so Eileen and I got to know each other there um, uh, by taking, man, like nine or ten days to kind of trek all over the place. And at the time, you lived in Denver, and now you live in Nashville uh, because mm-hmm. you work with uh, United Methodist Communications. Uh, Eileen creates communications content that uh, supports the Hispanic and Latino leadership of the church, um, gets to manage a social media page, as well as helps on umc.org, the denominational website. Uh, Eileen is a PK, so um, those of us in youth ministry, we feel for you, we pray for you as a preacher's kid. Uh, we understand the struggles and the stresses that go along with I that. survived. That's right. Uh, yeah, preacher's kids go one of two ways. No, <laughs> They're either really active in the church or we never see them again. Um, but Eileen uh, grew up with a deep love for the church and a gospel at, the, at a young age. Um, she is currently pursuing a master's in business administration with an emphasis in project management from Colorado Christian University. And when she's not doing church stuff or homework, uh, Eileen enjoys retail therapy hikes and traveling. So Eileen, hi. Hi. How did I do? I actually, is that okay? Yes. One, I love how you said my last name, Humanis. Um, and I actually work on resourceumc.org, which is, let me give a little shout out. It's kind of a new, it's a new denominational website. I want to say we launched it in 2019. So it tries to, um, it brings resources from the, across the connection into one specific portal. So we're just trying to help out leaders across the UMC find stuff just because, we're scattered everywhere and there's information all over the place. So, um, so yes, resourceumc.org and I manage the Spanish version of our website, but thank you. Thanks for, thanks for that introduction. I'm happy to be here. Well, we're really glad you're here too. And, um, that is a genuine need right now because there is more and more ministry happening from home. Uh, and, um, you know, the United Methodist Connection is large and diverse, and we seem to have a lot of resources that um, tend to be like the best kept secrets of things. And so my, my experiences with Resource UMC have been it, it is one place that you can go where it's a little bit easier to discover um, resources and support um, that you might not necessarily have found other places. Is that fair to say? That's fair to say. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, so being that you are very involved with not only the Spanish language version of that website, but also um, ministries that kind of connect with the uh, Latino, Latinx, you'll have to give me the right term, I think. Um, What are some of the the real struggles and challenges that um, the Latino uh, church or participants in Latino churches are facing right now because of uh, COVID? Well, I think that um, 
I don't well, I don't think there's like a correct term Latino Latinx. I think um, it depends. Personally, I use Hispanic Latino, but I know that I have a particular experience and other people have particular experiences. So it really, it just depends on who you're talking to. I think that as far as COVID, the Hispanic Latino population is the one that we have seen has been impacted the most um, in terms of receiving healthcare, having to take on those bills, um, having to decide whether, um, should I go, should I call in sick? Should I get some medical attention? Or do I go to work? Because, you know, I need to get money and I need to feed my family and I need to pay for bills. Um, the Hispanic Latino community has those um, essential worker jobs. So I think that we are being exposed to the virus, whether, you know, we want to or not. And um, it's really sad. I mean, even within my own family, I, I extended family, I've had people who have contracted the virus, some people have passed away. Um, in my annual conference, the Mountain Sky Annual Conference, we had one of our Hispanic Latino pastors pass away from it um, towards the beginning of the pandemic. And um, I mean, it's sad that even though we're going through this pandemic, the world continues to be so demanding. And um, I think like even within the church, it continues to be demanding and we don't really have the ability to pause, to take the time and to really think about what happened. Like even with, with that specific case with our pastor who passed away, um, it's just sad. And I live in Nashville, so I think a lot of people here, so that was in Denver, that's where my annual conference is. But I live in Nashville, and I think that, you know, there's Nashville, and then there's Tennessee, which is completely different. And I think that people, like, here don't really see it as um, being a dangerous, a threatening pandemic. It's like, ugh. But those are some of the things that the Hispanic-Latino community is facing. And I guess aside from that, I would also say education. Um, because some of our parents, whether they're first generation or second generation, you know, they have different educational levels. Maybe some of them don't understand the material that they're supposed to teach their kids. Um, some of them might not even speak the language. So it's like, how can I sit next to my child and help you do your homework when I don't even understand it? Um, I know that you know, sometimes my aunt will call me and she'll be like, Eileen, what is this word or what is it saying? Or can you walk uh, my daughter through it? And so, you know, it's, it's, it's those things that we kind of have to learn. And then the technology aspect, like everything is online now, everything is virtual now, and some people have difficulties navigating that. I think especially the older generations, like even me, like TikTok is so hard for me and I kind of compare that and it's like, I grew up with technology and computers and gadgets and TikTok is hard for me. Like I can't navigate it. I don't get the swiping. Um, and then I think of people who didn't grow up with a computer and then they have to learn all these programs and all these apps. So I understand a little bit now, technology can be challenging and it can be intimidating. And we've had to, this pandemic has made us kind of like face it and just face our fears and we just kind of just kind of go, have to go for it. But those are some things that are affecting the Hispanic Latino community specifically.
Yeah, and thank you. And and that technological piece is something that has come up a few times um, through the course of our recharges, uh, because you know we we've all been asked to try to do ministry in a new way. Um, mm-hmm. That because we couldn't physically gather for a long time, some churches are now starting to be able to do that. Um, others are still doing the distancing piece, and so there's been all this. Um, learning and investment in those new platforms and new technologies, um, which have been really tough for some people. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to maybe ask about, uh, because you had a good experience being a, a PK, um, what are some of the formative and positive experiences that you had in in your experience as a young person? Um, and how do you think that those might get, you know, maybe replicated or... Um, you know, celebrated or put into use in some other places in youth ministry? Well, Chris, of course, the pilgrimage to the Holy Land was formative. (laughs) I mean, yes, but you were also a young adult by then. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Okay. (laughs) So um, my dad's a pastor. He started off as a pastor in Mexico. So the Methodist Church of Mexico, um, And then when we moved to the United States, I was probably like five-ish when I started school. Um, We started off in the United Methodist Church here in the United States. And we, Hispanic Latino ministry is always done like as a family. And so I was just always involved in church. And I think that my parents, but especially my dad, really empowered me to be Uh, active and to participate in roles. So I was, um, you know, doing liturgy or or sharing like a Bible passage, like as a six-year-old, as a seven-year-old, I was in the worship team, you know, as like a little kid. I um, led our youth group when I was like 16 and, you know, I did the sound, I did the counting. So I was just like really involved in all these different aspects of the church that Aside from doing those things, I think it really gave me, it helped me develop leadership skills that I otherwise wouldn't have been exposed to. And I think that the church was always uh, a safe space to do that and to learn those things that would form me into the person I am. Um, And then as I got older, I was able to attend different events where I got to meet, uh, you know, different people, where I got to meet different mentors, where I got to meet, um, people my age who were going through similar things that I was going through. Um, Yeah. So I would say that I guess in, in informative things, having the ability to be in leadership positions, being in a safe space, having someone who was there to push me, someone who like believed in me, um, but really someone who pushed me because I don't think I would have done any of those things if my dad wouldn't have been like, do it. Um, And then I would say finding my own like adult mentor aside from my parents, which I think they were great, but I look back and I think about people who were in my life and um, when I attended different church events, which again, I think that's formative when you create events as a church that help you meet people that are outside of your normal circle. Um, I was able to meet people my age, but also like older mentors who could kind of guide me in certain decisions in the church because I'm also involved like jurisdictionally and now nationally but at the time I wasn't and so that was really beneficial to me I guess those would be formative 
things that helped me be where I am now. And, um, you know, I could add a few 10 years from now, 15 years from now, but I think now those were the most impactful. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing. So um, today I'd like to focus on hope, Um, hope as, you know, a spiritual discipline that we practice as Christians and as people of faith. It's kind of a theme that's been following me around lately. So um, kind of like, what are we going through in our lives today or right now? What's our current reality? What's going on with our communities, our world, and how does hope even play a role in that? Or do we even need it? Do we not? Um, what, what are the things that we're going through right now, personally and collectively, um, as a community, as a society? And I'll share some things that I jotted down, but obviously we can add more. Um, we're obviously going through the coronavirus pandemic. There's anxiety, there's uncertainty. We've got um, economic distress going on in the United States and in other parts of the world, there's social unrest. Um, and I think that there's hate. Um, and there's this sort of boldness, I think, in our divided society right now. There's this audacity to express your hate or to express your disagreements or to show that you are right or that you're better or that you're even more worthy than someone else. So um, I think it's pretty easy to get discouraged right now. And I think that for some of us, it's easier to even lose hope. Um, But in one way or another, all of us here, you know, we're tied to the church somehow. So I imagine we all have a sense of hope. Um, You know, in fact, most of you are, are leaders. And even still, it can be so easy to lose hope. Um, And in fact, it might even be easier because we hear the politics of the church. We see the injustices that happen and decisions that are being made without empathy or consideration. You know, these things that are supposed to set us apart as a church, Um, you know, things that are supposed to make us different. Um, You know, even we're counting the days until our United Methodist Church bitterly separates into multiple expressions, whatever that means. Um, so it's, it's not a pretty picture, um, but I think that beyond optimism, which I think we need, uh, but beyond optimism, we need hope. It's a choice to wait for God. It's a choice to have hope. I had never really thought about hope being that way, I kind of thought it was just something that like Christians have, like Christians have hope. Um, but it's not, it's not a gift, you know, like faith is. It's hope is kind of built on our actions. It's built on our relationships and the things we say to one another. And we encourage each other to, to have hope. And um, two, we have to um, look back at all of the things God has done and all of the things that God is to hope for a better future. And I'm sure we all have examples of God revealing his character to us in different parts of our lives. And, um, you know, when we think back to those moments, um, at least for me, I get this sense of security or certainty knowing that 
you know, God's not going to give me more than I can handle or God's not just going to let go of me. I think it's interesting. I like these world word series that the Bible Project does because um, Spanish is my first language. So when I hear a word like in Spanish and it means one thing in Spanish and then I read it in English, it just kind of gives like it changes the whole sentence completely. I don't know. It kind of gives it a different perspective when you're when you're reading things. But uh, yeah, so a, a lot of us who believe that about hope, believe those things, um, may also feel that things are happening in this world right now that are beyond our control. You know, we're, we're in that stage where we're just kind of kind of waiting. And um, there, that's true. You know, there are things that are out of our control, maybe things that scare us. Um, the world can be dark and chaotic, <laughs> full of evil, and uh, we may feel like we have our hands tied, unable to do anything while we wait. Um, and I think that sometimes while we're in that state, we can get consumed with anger or fear or uncertainty. Um, but while we wait, I would just encourage us all to hope on God, and not only for our sake, but for the sake of others who are, you know, watching us and who are seeing our lives um, so that they may too believe. Um, I think that as leaders, as people of faith, we must be examples of how to live by faith. You know, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Um, and a part of that, I think, is uh, waiting and hoping for more, you know, something good, something better. I'm not encouraging fakeness. You know, I'm not saying pretend to be optimistic. I think that God knows us far too well for that. And even people, people see right through that. But it needs to be an intentional journey of faith. Um, we have to choose to have hope, you know, a living hope where we are new people, a renewed people, people who can be a reflection of Jesus Christ and in turn can show what a liberated creation, whole creation, um, will look like in the future, trusting that God loves this world more than we do, and that He will one day deal with its evil. And again, I'm not saying let's ignore what we can do and just focus on what God can do for us in a future. Um, they go hand in hand. You know, we have to be active in the waiting if we can be, and as much as we can be. Um, but our hope has to be a part of what we do to help our brothers and sisters in our communities today. So, yeah, I think as Methodists, let's organize, let's call our state representatives, let's practice acts of piety, um, let's feed the hungry through our food ministries. And when we see that our work is not enough, that our character is not enough to fix all of the world's problems, let's hope for a better future in God that is better than our present.